Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. And as we, we begin this uh, series today, I want to start uh, by asking you, what are some of the things in your life that you love? And I know you love your husband and your wife. It's, you know, we're just past Valentine's Day, but other things that you love and your, or, or your children or whatever. But uh, one, of the things, one of the things I love is my family. Uh, this is taken this Christmas, and uh, we clean up well, don't we? Uh, as you'll notice, the, the shortest person in that picture now is my wife. And I tell her that every single day, and that, that's been like that for a couple of years now. Uh, but that's one of the things I do. I love my family. Um, here's something else I love. Um, this is a place in Port Rexton that, w- that we go to probably a dozen times a year. And this is just a, a view of the ocean there. In this location is the Skirwink Trail. Anybody ever been on the Skirwink Trail? Yep, lots of people. Anybody been on the Fox Island Trail? Aha, see? You've been to the Skirwink, but not the Fox Island. There's a Fox Island Trail in Champneys that is more demanding than the Skirwink, okay? Um, these trails display the ocean and, and the, the uh, rugged terrain of Newfoundland. And uh, on a beautiful day, the, it is breathtaking as you walk and run and jog or crawl <laughs> in some places on those trails. Uh, you see the rugged terrain of Newfoundland and, and its beauty and the ocean and all those things. It's, this place is like medicine to my soul. We go there quite often. It's a couple hours away, and uh, we spend a lot of time there, and it's just an absolutely beautiful place. I love this place, and many of you have a place geographically uh, that you love, a location that uh, when you're there, you love it. It's in the woods, um, beach, on a beach, uh, on, on, the side of the, on the other side of the world. It might be just uh, nothing big. Just, you just love that location, and it does something for you. I lo- uh, now, love may be strong word for what I'm about to share with you, next, but there are certain foods that I love. And I'm so thankful for the day that God created the three basic food items, wings, nachos, and cheesecake. Okay? These are my, I got one amen. But these are my favorite uh, uh, things. Uh, And I know when we get to heaven, it's going to be there. <laughs> and so many other things, I'm sure. Uh, there's a lot of things I love. I love the, the church. I love the expression of the church, both uh, in its all of expressions, whether it's a storefront or a, a, a church that's an underground church or a church like, like Bethesda. But more specifically, I love this church. I really do. I have loved this church from the moment Rochelle and I got a call in 2002 from the senior pastor to come on staff. We sat across the lot on Holiday Inn before we even had an interview, and we looked over at the building, and my heart stirred for this church. Um, I love this church, and I love its history. God has done some pretty amazing uh, things throughout this church and had some pretty amazing pastors lead this church to where we are today. And God is still doing some amazing things. Amen? And in 2014, one specifically that we, we caught on to, in 2014 we felt to prepare ourselves uh, to, for what God has for the future. And I, and I introduced a big give offering, and many, many of you know it, which was an offering 
uh, once a year to pay down on the principal of our loan to expedite paying it off and be ready for whatever God has for us. This coming March, we will we'll take another big give. And now left on our, uh, our mortgage and our debt is about $40,000. Can you believe that? Woo! Yes. Uh, we, uh, with the big give alone, we've collected over $240,000 over six years. I believe that deserves celebration. <clears throat> You've heard me. We, we've celebrated this before. And in a couple of weeks, we will see the end of that debt. And, and, and a revision of what we call the building fund. And we'll talk more about that. We want to continue that fund uh, to begin saving for what God has what? For. If you haven't seen that word, you need to put your glasses on, okay? What God has for this church for the future. So the building fund after March will be renamed and we'll, we'll, we'll see some vision into that. And we'll take a monthly offering moving forward after March that will save and grow towards vision as we express it over the next couple of months and the next couple of years. So today as we lean into this new series called Four, I want to talk about knowing what we are for. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've been really wanting to change the conversation about what people think of the church. Historically, uh, the church is known for what it's against, uh, but we want to communicate what the church is for. That's when we introduced the four St. John's, really engaging our community on multiple levels and uh, through events where our church serves the community, McMorrin, uh, Virginia Park, Span, breakfast programs at our schools, families in needs. In 2019, you gave $28,000 to the care fund that we use to touch people's lives. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Let's celebrate that. <clears throat> Don't go giving me your golf claps, okay? You just you give me your clap. Let's do it again. Let's celebrate that. Yes. And some of you are like, and I get that. I get that. Uh, inside all of those moments are relationships. We we have fostered with our community and a, and a message that says we are the church, we are here, and we are for you. That's our, 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 our posture. What is, what is at the heart of why we do all of this for? And I want to talk about that today. In, in, the, in the weeks and months ahead, I'm going to ask you to dream some big dreams, some God-sized dreams as we unpack some things we're dreaming about. But before we dream, before we challenge, before we take our next big give and revision our building fund for the future, I want to study a church in the Bible with a great history. Like this church. This, this church in Scripture, they, had, they made a great impact. They were for church. They were for the gospel. But the church got so busy going through the motions of what a church does that they forgot who was at the heart of it all. And in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus sends seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And he refers to these churches as the seven golden lampstands because he wants his church to shine like a bright light in a dark world. Amen? He wrote these letters through his close friend and disciple John, not just for these seven churches, but for all churches for all time. In fact, these letters were written in 96 AD, but they are just as relevant for us today as we lean into the next chapter for Bethesda. 
We can learn from the successes, the failures, and the victories. And Jesus begins the letter by saying to the angels, which, which refers to the pastors, as he mentions in chapter 1, of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, now Jesus said in the previous verse that the seven stars are the angels of the churches. And walks among the seven golden lampstands, which again represents the seven churches. The Ephesus Sea was a great city, and this is the first letter. It was the fourth largest in the Roman Empire. It was the center of worship of the fertility goddess Diana. And the temple of Diana in Ephesus was one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world. A lot of temple prostitution went on in the, in the name of worship, but Ephesus had a great church in it, and you read about it in Acts chapter 19. And over the years, it had some amazing pastors and leaders. It started, the church started with the Apostle Paul. So he started this church. And then Priscilla and Aquila came along and nurtured the church along with the powerful preaching of Apollos. And the church had another well-known pastor by the name of Timothy. And, and Paul came along and heard of what was going on and came back for two more years. And then John, one of the closest friends of Jesus, pastors the church as well. And while he's serving the church in Ephesus, John wrote the book of John. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, attended this church. Can you imagine preaching about Jesus with his mother sitting in the room? Right? Uh, Christmas time would be great because you use Mary to be, to be Mary, right? <laughs> It'd be awesome. I'd be pretty nervous, actually, talking about her son and people looking at it. Is that really true? Is, he, is, he, is this factual, right? So my point is, this church had such an amazing influence in the community. They had amazing pastors. This was a hard-charging church. They were active. They were for the church. They were for the community. And Jesus, he comes along in this letter and he compliments them. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know, but I see it. He applauds them. You have so much going on in your church. You're, you're legendary. You have a great website. <laughs> you have great small groups. Even your missions is up. You're touching people's lives. And then he adds in the verse two, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have, you have tested those who claim to be the apostles but are not and have found them false. He says, so you're active in knowing true doctrine and you test the spirits. You test people's, people's knowledge and you could land on the left or you know if they're right or wrong. And he's saying, I know it's not easy to live inside of Ephesus in this culture. It's not easy to stand up for truth and against impurity. Plus, when false teachers show up, you test the validity of their teaching, expose them for who they are. That's how strong this church was. He even says, you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. See, the Nicolaitans were the believers who tried, who said they were believers, who tried to convince other believers that grace was cheap. It's, it's a, a license to, to do whatever you want to do. Live as immoral as you want to live. But Jesus says, I paid a high price for you and, uh, and honor the fact that you see through that. Jesus was saying, thanks for standing up for what is right and true. And in verse 3, he gives them another. You have, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. And have not given, uh, 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 grown weary. Are you getting a picture of this church? 
This is a solid church. It's influential. It's for the community. It's about 60 years old. And when Jesus sends this letter, 60 years is long enough you, you, to think that they have, they have arrived. To become self-sufficient. And to fall in love with yourself as a church. And 60 years is long enough for another generation to rise up and lead. So imagine, you're sitting in the congregation like you would be today. As the, the letter is being read and so, so far, you, so, I mean, so far you are starting to feel pretty good about yourself. We're, we're, we're a great church. We're, we're a mighty fortress of truth. God is using us to touch lives. God is using us to change the conversation in our community uh, of, of what people's view of what church is. We're standing up against other gods. And you're, you're about to break out to, in the song, we are the champions, right? When a knot forms, in your stomach and your heart sinks because Jesus says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had first. Right? Consider how far you've fallen. <laughs> don't, don't hold back Jesus, okay? Like, like, really give it to him, right? Repent and do all the things you did at first. Wow. Jesus is saying, you have allowed an erosion to occur. In the middle of loving what you do, you forgot to love what matters most. You have everything but me. You are doing all these things, but it is not motivated by, motivated by your general love for me. And Jesus is asking about the, the, the initial passion you had that flows out of the gratitude of being saved and changed and given a new start. You remember that? The love that flows out of the fact that when you didn't care about God, when you were 17 and, and you didn't even want to go to church, right? When you were in the middle of your divorce and you were alone and isolated, when you were in the middle of sin and I died for you and rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light, who is there like him? Remember that? Remember the first passion when you sang about amazing grace? This is what he's talking about to the church in Ephesus. With tears in your eyes, the gratitude for the unconditional love of God lavished on you. Ephesus was doing ritual worship, going through the motions. And Jesus says, when ritual worship is at its best, I am most distant. Hmm. He says to them, you don't love me anymore. He's saying to the church, you used to sing to me and you used to be the flaming inferno and now you're barely a pilot light. So here's the question as we begin this series for us, as we make it applicable for our own lives. Have I fallen out of love for Jesus? It's a sobering question, isn't it? Now don't answer that question too quickly because if you're like me, you'll want to answer it superficially. Well, the last time I checked, I thought I loved Jesus. I certainly believe in him. I'm in church, you know, twice a month or all, every week, or I give to, you know, some vision. I even went on a missions trip. How do you know you have fallen out of love for Jesus? What does it look like practically when someone loses their first love? It's like this, okay? Number one, you become apathetic about the mission of the church rather than p passion for the mission of the church. When we love Jesus... We love what Jesus loves. And with Jesus, it's what? Always about people. It's always about the lost. It's always about the hurting. 
It's always about the, those that, that need his love. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about a banquet where many guests were invited and the owner says, go out into the streets, the roads, and invite the poor and the crippled because what he had done was he invited in the most elite at first, but they were too busy trading and they're the richest back and forth. And he, the servant comes back to this, this person and says, no one's coming. He says, go out and get the poor. And he comes back and got a few more and he says, no, go into the gutters, the hopeless people, those that are hurting the most and bring them in. Because God wants his church to be outward focused. That's the message there. Uh, sometimes we can forget about those hurting and the loss and make church about us. And I'm not saying that that's the case for Bethesda, but we do need to be reminded of it. A professor from Fuller Seminary surveyed a thousand churches and asked what they thought the number one purpose of the church was. 89% said this, the number one purpose of the church is to focus inward on inwards things that don't touch the community. Jesus' message of the cross was about people. And the temptation of any church is to go inward. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that we are about the broken. A couple of months ago during our door series, I communicated that we are in the middle of a first principles document that works towards a strategic plan for this church. Along with the vision of, 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 of our building fund, and we are, we are launching five teams. The first one is a church ministry assessment team. This team will meet with all the ministries of this church to gather data on the use of this building, its challenges and dreams for the future. What would this or a building look like if it were built to facilitate not only our ministries, but our community? You hearing what I'm saying? What a fundamental question. And another uh, uh, team that we're starting is called a community assessment team. We want to gather with our partners in the community, whether it's McMorn or Virginia Park or, or Single Parent Association or a breakfast club in the area, understand the, uh, the needs around us, do an assessment about it, and, and gather and partner, strengthen our partnerships, and use the resources that God has given us more wisely to touch the needs around us. You see, the church in Ephesus not only lost their passion for Jesus, but their faith to trust. Their faith threshold had become small. And when John recorded this letter, this is important to understand what was going on here. What, what Jesus wanted to say, the church was a little over 60 years old. The church had experienced tremendous growth despite intense persecution. And under the rule of Rome, records shows us 45,000 Christians were slain by crucifixion. Wow burned to death and thrown into wild, to wild animals. In addition, corruption was springing up in the church. So they were getting it from without and they were getting it from within. And when John wrote this message to the seven churches, many believers were afraid about the unsure future. They had lost their strength and their faith. They were afraid of being strong enough to stand up to adversity that they would be facing and they could endure the persecutions. So Jesus was saying, your love for me is connected to your ability to have faith. When they lost their love for who Jesus was, they lost their ability to see Jesus above their circumstances. And when the, when, when the driving force of your life is loving him, your faith risk is bigger. You know that. When we take our eyes off of him, our faith decreases. 
Because your life is built on the reality of the greatest miracle in your life. I was lost. I was hopeless. Jesus saved me. So now I live my life with the understanding that if I base my faith on what I see, I have very little faith. But if I step out in faith in a God who sees everything, even when I cannot, I approach faith differently. You know this to be true. Look at, look at Peter when he stepped out in water, Matthew 14. Look, look at Joshua walking around the walls of Jericho in jo- Joshua 6. Ask Elijah when he prayed for the flour and the oil to increase from little in 1 Kings 17. Their faith wasn't on what they could see, but trusting in a God who sees everything. I cannot see the flour. I, I can't see the wall crumbling after seven times around me. I can't see that. This is inconceivable, let alone it looks stupid on me. Because Joshua had learned that leadership was taking an army and God go before them and destroy the army. Even his predecessor, even the leaders before him did that. He was following a pattern. And God is saying, no, 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 we're going to do it differently this time. And Joshua says, what are we going to do? We're going to walk around the wall. Well, can you imagine the first time, the second time, you're like, Really? Your sword in your hand? Come on. And it looked looked crazy. But God sees everything. And God goes before us. I cannot see the healing, but he does. We cannot see the future of Bethesda, but he does. We're going to trust now by generously giving to whatever that is. There's nothing our God cannot do. You weren't singing that good enough as far as I'm concerned. There is nothing our God can't do. There's not a mountain he can't move. As our love for God grows, so does our faith. See, the more I exercise my faith, the more I trust in a God who sees everything, even when I do not, even when I can't see it. Even when my faith is small, even when I can't see what I need to see, my faith is small, but God sees everything. Amen? And when our focus is on loving Jesus, and we understand that true love that was sacrificed for us, our love goes from inward to outward. At the heart of Jesus is the lost. So when we love Jesus, we have a passion and a love for the lost. And when our love is focused on Jesus, our faith goes from small to unprecedented. The word unprecedented means something that has never been done before. That's how how big our faith can be. Because we're not putting our faith in walls. We're not putting our faith the second and third times around. We're putting our faith in a God who sees beyond what we can see. So it's unprecedented. What are you asking for God in your life right now? He's the God of the unprecedented. He does what's never been done before. Amen? Amen. Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, if you love me, you will love what I love, and you will trust with the kind of faith that is bigger than you because you are trusting in a God who sees everything even when you can't. That would preach. The second way we may be losing our first love for Jesus is when I see a, a Jesus as a concept to be studied rather than a personal relationship to nurture. 
You see, it happens when we study the Bible where we go deeper, and if we're not careful, and deeper is great, don't get me wrong, but if we're not careful, we see Jesus as the, the, this intellectual exercise to unpack rather than a Savior to walk with and to know. And if I treat Jesus as a concept to study rather than a relationship, then, 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 then I know I, I have lost my first love. And during this time of the church in Ephesus, to some, Jesus was just another concept among other gods. There was, there was the, the god of fertility. The Nicolaitans were, were claiming to be, have faith, but it was a, a faith that was cheap. The church was stuck in the middle of it, so, so much so that they had lost their love for Jesus. The one common denominator that made them powerful, they had lost. And so they had a working relationship with Jesus, but no longer in an intimate one. They knew the, the process. They had the template. They came to church. They did their thing, but they had lost a key element, and that was their love for Jesus. They had retained some type of form of church, but had lost his heart. And Jesus is calling them out in Revelations 2. And here's another song where I may be losing my first love. I talk myself into staying on the sidelines. This was the case uh, for the church in Ephesus. Think about it for a moment. They had such a great history of pastors and leaders. They had Paul, they had Priscilla and Aquila who came along and strengthened the church. They had Paul as Timothy, John. Let me show you their history for a moment, where it started. 52 AD, Paul started this church. 54 to 56 AD, a time of weeding out of false prophets. 57, a time of nurturing. 62, a time of watering through Timothy. Uh, uh, Paul had left Timothy in 64 AD. 66 AD, a time of producing under John. 96 AD, a time of wilting. You can see it. They had moved to the sidelines. And so you have to wonder if the church just said, you know, I've done enough praying, done enough giving, and, and serving. I'm just going to retire my jersey and be a spectator. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs did that last night. All right? I was promised myself I wasn't going to bring that up. But I did. But you have to wonder. Have I, did they just go, I, I just... I, 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 I've done enough praying. I've given enough. I've done, I've done enough. I've, I got the badges. And I, and I love the fact that we sit in a room and worship God with all generations. I love the fact that as I look around this room during worship and our more seasoned people, that's a word that Crystal uses, okay, I'm going to use it. More seasoned people are worshiping to songs that are sometimes new and not always your preference, with the one purpose, and that is to honor God in your worship and to teach a generation behind you to worship God in season and out. I love that. I really do. I notice it. I see it. I honor it. No matter how old you are, I hope you never sit on the sidelines. Don't ever think I have cooked enough meals. I have led enough small groups. I have given enough to the vision. I have helped build enough buildings. I have unleashed enough passion. We need the older generation to continue to model giving, serving, and commitment and love for God. Amen? I love the fact that we have a growing church. Our average attendance in 2019 was over 600 Ten times in 2019, we hit 700 or gone over 700 in our Sunday gatherings. We're growing numerically, and that's great. 
We, we, we have new people attending our growth tracks and, and Alpha all the time. We have a people coming to faith. Just last week, a man, Pastor Rob, left a, led a man to the Lord. Not on a Sunday morning at an altar. Outside the church, right? In a parking lot? In a park, God forbid. <laughs> wow. People coming to God. Coming to faith. In 2019 alone, we had 130 first-time visitors in this church. We have, been, we have people sitting in this room that have only been a part of Bethesda for months or a year or two, and we love that. You belong here. Some are strong in their faith, others not ready to make that step of faith. And, but my challenge to you today as, you, as your pastor is not to sit on the sidelines. First, we pray that you would take the step of faith and experience that first love that Jesus talks about in Revelation chapter 2. Secondly, become a part of the vision here at Bethesda. Attend a small group. Give generously your, your tithe and offerings to support this vision. Serve the church and the community. We invite you to journey with us as we discover our next steps for this church. You're invited. Come as you are. So, how do we how do we recapture that first love if we have lost it? Jesus tells us simply in verse 5, it says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Then it says, Repent and do the works you did first. And here's the remedy for recapturing your first love. Remember, repent, and return. Do the things you used to do. For those of you who are, who are going through the motion, Jesus says, Remember. Now, now, for those of you who are married or in the room today, if you've been married for a good amount of time, one of the temptations that will creep into your relationship over time is not putting the effort in like you once did. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking only to myself, but, you know, I bet if we were to you were to tell me about some of the, your first dates and your first Valentines, all the care and, and, the, and the investment that you put into it, or the planning you put into your engagement night. I have heard some pretty crazy, incre uh, incredible, creative stories about people's engagements, okay? We would, we would hear some of the most creative stories of care and love and nurturing. Stories of 12 roses, a rose placed in 12 locations that represent some of your experiences you had together. And in the last row, rose, the 12th rose in the last location, and she walks in and you're on bended knee with the last rose in your mouth. Well, that's actually a little bit corny, but you know, like in your hand, <laughs> right? You, the care and the strength that you put into your first love. It's amazing, and, 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 and not just, just, just to stereotype everybody, everybody, maybe you still do that. That's amazing. Pray for me, right? Now, Jesus is essentially saying that that is what happens in our relationship with him. Remember how it felt when you first came to faith, and you were set free, and you gained a new hope and a new identity and a new life. Remember the pit you were rescued from. Remember how much you were forgiven. For those who have been forgiven much, love much. Go back and take an honest look at when, when and where you begin to lose your passion for him. Was it an addiction that pulled you away? Did you get so busy making money and a name for yourself that you forgot that I already gave you more riches than you could possibly know? And I, I have called you, called you by name. Did you get cynical about the church or someone hurt you? Remember, go back and remember what it was like 
when you first gave your life to me. Then he says, repent. My guess is many of us don't think the absence of our passion for Christ is repentable, but Jesus does. We may, see it, we may say, uh, say to ourselves, you know, it's just sometimes it just, it just fades over time. It's natural. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus still all the world to you? It's a song that I, that's in my head this week. And if I, if I could sing in tune, with a tune, I would sing it to you. And Rochelle said, don't you dare. Because I sang it to her. She said, don't you dare. But it's this. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Some of you know that song. As the band returns. Let me ask you, is Jesus still all the world to you? Is Jesus still your all? You see, what makes a church effective is not the marketing ability. It's not the endless resources. What makes a church for the community, what makes the church applicable, what gives us the right to speak into social issues, to to, to touch the lives of the hurting with the kind of passion that is different than the world, is first our love for Jesus. It is. If it isn't, he says, remember Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you you did first. This is not an irreversible condition. He says, do the things you did before, not the things you felt before, but do the things that brought you intimacy to, to you and Jesus, living in the awareness of his presence every single day, being still enough in the middle of the noise of this life to hear his voice. My first week with the Silent Mode series, reading scripture, I felt like I needed medication. Because sitting still for me is very difficult. Very difficult physically. But it reminded me if I don't build into the the art of my life, into the pattern of my life, sitting and hearing God's voice, I'm going to miss out in the important things of God. This is not irreversible. Not feelings, but listening to what God is saying in your life. Living in the awareness of his presence every single day. Intimacy with Jesus is going through tough stuff with Jesus at your side. Intimacy with Jesus is laying on an operating table and saying, Jesus, I trust you and thank you for your grace and I ask you to heal me, but if you, if you don't, I still win. That's intimacy. Intimacy with Jesus is seeing and loving what he loves. Remember, repent, and return and do the things you did at first and the feelings will follow. Here's a sobering reality if you choose not to do this church. If we do not choose to place him first, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from your place, from his place. Jesus is saying, if we don't do this, I will stop working. Do you know the most sobering thing about the, this passage is that, is that if you were to visit Ephesus today, modern-day Turkey, there's no church in the, where Ephesus was. No church there. Hmm. Where Ephesus stood, much of it now is just ruins. And, and, and now 99% Muslim. 
the light of this what once great church with godly leaders and its rich history had been extinguished. How could that have happened? It's a slow drift away from your passion and your love for Jesus. The church Bethesda is a great church filled with faith-filled people and passionate and generous people. Don't get me wrong. Filled with great history. And I genuinely believe our greatest years are still ahead of us. But before we dream about the future and unpack any strategy, I felt it was so important to get it right and remind us that our number one passion is to love Jesus. It's the posture of a four church. Our number one passion is to love Jesus. A church that has a passion for the community is first a church that has a passion for Jesus. And when our passion for the community is is filtered through our love for Jesus, we are more forgiving, aren't we? We are more patient, we are more generous, because when you are forgiven much, you love much. You do. When you understand the sacrifice that was made for you through Jesus Christ, and you live with that awareness in your life every single day, your posture is patience, love. I just, Lord, it's all yours. I give it back to you. I give it to the vision of this church actively loving what God loves and that is the hurting the broken and I believe as we end I believe he is steering Jesus is steering us out of our complacency he is revealing and reproving sin he's calling us to repentance and by the way let me just stop and say he is revealing and reproving our sin and by the way, let me stop and say that he's, re- he's revealing and reproving sin. During the silent mode series, God dealt with some things in my own heart. He's he dealing with sin in my own and reproving sin, cleaning me up and saying, Bruce, if you're going to listen, you really need to listen. <laughs> Not listen to, for me to stop so you can speak. It's like a relationship, right? He's calling us to repentance. He's bringing us to a new and stronger position of dedication and commitment and breathing vision that will require faith in a God who sees everything, by the way, even when I cannot. Because you know why? Because there is nothing our God cannot do. There's nothing. Would you stand all over this room? I believe this song, and Pastor Justin was wrong in saying that I played it all week. I played it the last two weeks for my own life. This song was introdu- we, we introduced will be the anthem during this series called For It's very simple. There's nothing that God cannot do. The bridge says, I will believe for greater things. You believe me for something greater? Unprecedented, by the way. Something in your life that has never been done before? And you're saying, God, I don't know, God. But now you're saying, I believe because I trust in a God who sees everything. Even when I cannot. I am way more excited than you, by the way. And I'm fine with that. I really am. God, I can't see it. But you do. 
And I, although my faith is weak at times, I am trusting you because you never change. You are the same today, yesterday, and forever. Amen? This is where you clap, by the way. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And, and believe me when I say, I am not excited. This is not fluff. I believe it at the core of my heart that God is going to do something amazing in your life. And we're going to go stand back and go, wow. So God is going to do something amazing in this church, and we're going to stand back and go, wow. I didn't see it, but I trust in you because you, 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 you see everything, even when I can't see it. You see it all, and I'm believing in you. And there's moments I want to get out of that boat, and I, I don't want to. There's moments when I want to walk around five, six times, and I can't do it. There are moments when I just want to see more flour and, I, and oil, and I can't do it. But I trust you. I trust you. Just one word, you calm the storm, the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retrieve. Jesus, speak the name of Jesus. Jesus, I speak your name. I speak your name. I speak your name. In the darkness, I speak your name. You, you, we, are, we are a lampstand. We are a church. We are a light on a hill. And, and light pervades the darkness. And Jesus' name pervades the darkness. Jesus, I speak your name. Just one word, the darkness has to reach you. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see. My heart can help, but, but can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God cannot do. Now I'm going to shut up and we're going to sing. Amen. I want you to sing it with faith, believing. Even if you don't believe it, you're trusting a God who sees everything. Amen. Let's sing it. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can't do, there's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name, makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Just one word, you heal what's broken inside me. Just one word, and you revive every dream. Oh, yes, you do, Lord. Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. Oh, there's nothing that a God can't do, there's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way, there's nothing that a God can't do.
I will believe greater things. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like His power. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a raise your hand, whatever it is. Just one hand, two hands. Oh, you're comfortable. We are believing God together. You have ambushed us, our life, with your love. You love us with an unending love. You proved that. You showed that through Calvary. And with that, you reminded us the greatest power in this world is your presence, your Holy Spirit in our life greatest force we recognize our frailty in front of you and recognizing that God we know is not a weakness it is just our desperate need and reliance on you the only person the only force that can change our circumstances and so father even whether we feel it or not you do not change our emotions change Our circumstances change. We question it. But you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in this room today are needs that are insurmountable. I don't know them all. I know some. But you know them. And nothing surprises you. You're not surprised by it. You're not saying, wow, I'm not sure if I have enough strength to do that. You are all powerful. You're Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You've shown that to us. And I pray, Father, today, all over this room today, whether it's someone personally praying for themselves in need or they're standing in, in for someone else has a need who may not even be here today, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus, under the authority in the name of Jesus, that you would meet and touch every need. You would speak into mental health right now. 
the person that is struggling, you would speak peace in Jesus' name. You would speak, Father, into that, that sickness today that's pervading bodies in the name of Jesus. You would speak into that loneliness today for that person that feels like you are distant from them. Father, you would pervade, you would ambush their life with your love. In Jesus' name, for that other need, whatever it is, Father, both in this room and listening live today, I pray in the name of Jesus, we declare that anthem, there is nothing that you can't do. And so we give it to you and we leave this place this morning under that authority in the name of Jesus. Let's say it together, in the name of Jesus. Say it together, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.